Welcome to episode 55 of the Needle Movement Podcast. And this topic for today is one of my favorites in a long time coming, research. Research makes so much difference in outcomes. So today I'm going to walk through how to build a research framework and we'll use NFTs as a test case. So why do research? Ultimately because we want to make good decisions and we have to protect ourselves against our ability to make terrible decisions. While due diligence isn't a sexy term, think about the results. Think about, it's much more fun to go forward with partnerships and investments that you love versus that one you shake your head on. You're like, why did I do that? Also, I'm gonna do an update on NBA Top Shot. About a year ago, we did an episode and a lot has changed. I'm eager to update my point of view. Can't wait to dive in. I'm Steven Carl, talking to you straight from Brooklyn, New York. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. How are you all doing out there? Thanks again. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to listen in. This episode is being recorded in early March. And these days, I feel like I have to timestamp these episodes, especially with Metaverse, whenever I talk about NFTs or Metaverse, because the market changes so much. I like to say that the volatility of the markets, like it grows hair on your chest, <laughs> like digital currency markets and NFTs, like they just they go up and down a lot, but it is something that you have to get used to. And right now, as of March 2022, NFTs are a little bit in a downtrend. And I've been following NFTs specifically for a year. It, wow, only a year. It feels like much longer. But you know, we do see this where for two to three months, the market is euphoric. And then it goes in the opposite direction for a little while as well. And that's where we are now. You know, so today going to talk about research. And I was going to only talk about NFTs and research, but then just thought about it. And it's like research just applies to everything. <laughs> it's not just, you know, if you're looking into a good NFT project, there should be a framework that you decide to make good decisions. This goes very well with investing. E-commerce, like evaluating e-commerce tools and marketing. Like with research, there is the quick approach, like a lazy approach, but also then that detailed approach. And I have to say personally, like when I look back at some of my worst decisions, oftentimes it can be attributed to a lack of research or trying to get things done too quickly. So before I get in deeper, just wanted to say this episode is not financial advice. I'm just a newbie trying to understand this space and I share some of that, but for any sort of buying decisions, you have to do your own research and listen to a lot of people before you make any decisions on what to get. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk had an interesting comment about NFTs about a year ago. He was saying, before you get into NFTs, here's what you got to do. You got to do 30 hours of research because a lot of this stuff is not going to be around in five years. There's going to be a lot of crap. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of boomer bust in the NFT industry. And I think he's right to a certain degree. Everything looks the same on the surface, but as you build a framework, you get to see the difference between a strong project and a decent project. And you always want to go with strong. You know, you always want to, I always want to be in love. I don't want to be in like. <laughs> I heard this great quote from Meltem Demirs, um, and she is a, like a, an investor in the crypto space. She makes appearances on CNBC from time to time. 
And she had this great quote about research. And I think our problem with research is modern life is so busy, so we strive for these hacks and shortcuts to do things quicker. And sometimes we don't put in the necessary work. So here's what she said. She said, most people in life don't want to do any work. They don't want to think about things for themselves. They want an easy button. And they hit it and they just get what they want. They don't want to do the work. They want someone to tell them what to do. They don't want to take responsibility for anything. They want people to tell them exactly what they should do. So if that's your approach to life, you're probably not going to make it. And she's right to a degree. I see this happen all the time where we want those growth hacks, like we were saying. So I think we have to realize sometimes that if we decide to do less research on stuff or not use a framework, it's possible that the end result is not going to be as good. And I remember an old experience I had, like my first foray into the stock market. And fun fact, my college education was paid for because my wonderful mother made a great investment in Gap stock a very long time ago. So a long time ago, I became aware of the value of like an investment that works, so to speak. And when I took my first adventure in the stock market, I didn't know what I was doing. And I asked a friend, I had a friend in investment who was an investment banker. So I said, young, you know, I don't know what stocks to get. Can you give me a couple recommendations? And he came back with one that was like a mobile tech company. And then I bought the stock. And a couple months later, I'm like, wow, this stock is cruising. Young's the best. I'm going to, I'm just going to ask Young for stock tips in the future. And then lo and behold, about a year later, the company hit difficulty and went into bankruptcy. So I lost my investment. And then I just started to make jokes about my friend Young and his stock tips. <laughs> Not to him directly, but I wasn't negative on Young. Eventually, I kind of came to a place where I realized that the fault was my own. The way to find good investments is not to ask your friends for tips. It's to find the investments yourself. <laughs> so you have to hold yourself accountable. And that's research. Research is a framework and it's the difference between good and great. And if we can find those things that are great and take out just the good or okay stuff, think about how much more fun it is and how much more pleasant it is to have that. In a way, research, I think it protects us against our own weaknesses. That due diligence that we do ahead of time, it allows us to find the good investments, the good partners, but also equally valuable, it allows us to decide not to do things that are not going to be beneficial. And I have to say, for everything I do get involved in, like, there's probably three or four things that I don't get involved in. I'm like, I'm tempted, but I go through my research process and I'll say no later in the game. So for NFT projects, wanted to quickly go through what I look for. Like I was saying, like, we'll talk about NFTs as a use case, but I think if you're in e-commerce and looking at marketing, you would have a certain set of criteria and a framework to evaluate things. Or if you were investing in stock market or crypto or wherever, like you would look at some of these characteristics and it's a framework really applies to everything. And it, it allows you to say, it's a difference between, yeah, I think I should do this versus I have high confidence that this is going to work. So the things that I look at are the builders, the team, the person in charge. I look at the artwork. I look at the utility of the NFT. I look at the website and all the media properties that the NFT has. I look at 
the business community, the the celebrities, influencers, or venture capital companies that are supporting the project. And I also take a look at myself and I look at my own personal biases and how it will impact the way I evaluate the project. So let's start with team. You know, so with NFTs, a lot of times it's an artist or with larger projects, there will be a small team. And I believe in that saying that you invest in builders you can invest in builders as much as you invest in their projects. Because if you like the leader of a company, if you like the artist, even if this project is not the best project, like if you really like that person, then you just follow that person on their path to success. Cause that's where you think you're going to end up. Like in the investment world, like I have a friend who is a Tesla head. So he, he really likes Elon. He likes Elon Musk. You know, so he, with his investing, he has this, he just says, I look for cult leaders. I look for big personalities that I can believe in. And those are the things that I invest in. And the cult leader analogy, that's taking it to a certain tangent. But for NFTs, like the artist is really the cult leader. And you got to believe in that artist. You look at their track record if it's a team beyond the artist, you look at the qualifications of that team and what they've done before. I personally like people with real experience in the actual field. Like for example, like people that are like academics, sometimes I see that occasionally. And sometimes I see that as a negative just because I feel like I don't want people that are theory. I want people that have like been in the line of fire and done it before. So next, of course, there is the artwork. With NFTs, it is a volatile market. There is a chance that you might have to hold on to that NFT for a while if the timing is wrong. So when I look at that thing, I want to like it. Like, I got to like it. And it's a more pleasant experience if I do feel some sort of emotional attachment to it. So the artwork's got to be good. I think there is a misconception about NFTs because people joke about like, hey, hey, why would you spend $1,000 on a JPEG? So now let's get into utility and the economy of an NFT. And that's really important. I think with NFTs, rarity is a really big thing that like the more rare, the better, especially if it's a known artist, because I learned this a tough way through my comic book collection way back in the day that like a lot of times if like if a comic book has been printed, if there's a hundred thousand versions of the comic book that I own it's not really that valuable because 100,000 other people have got it and can sell it. So the more rare, if there's only 100 that exist or less than 1,000, the more valuable it can be. So I look at, I don't know what to call it. It's like the rarity or the economics behind the NFT. Because once I find out there are 50,000 of the same thing being made, it's not going to be that, like, I, I don't see it being that valuable. You know, rarity is a very good attribute for an NFT. But utility gets into that membership club thing that I was just talking about, where when I buy that NFT, like what benefits do I get? I talked in a few episodes ago about how I went to an NFT conference and one of the benefits of being a Board Ape Yacht Club member, and I have a couple of friends who are, was they got a free concert from Beck and the Strokes. So that was a benefit that happened. But with utility, I think the benefits are a lot of times NFT projects will get airdrops where they'll get free additional artwork. 
there's certain access and partnerships that you become a member of this NFT and certain doors will open. But the key thing with utility, I mean, also another thing with utility is gaming. Like more and more, the gaming world and NFTs are going to collide. So it's really not just artwork, but that NFT will have a certain value inside of the game. And the way to think of utility is, I think artwork launches NFTs, but utility keeps people from selling it. Because let's just say this NFT has come out and it's been four months later. If nothing is happening with that NFT, people are going to sell it because there's nothing that's keeping them. Like what is keeping them from selling it and getting their money back, especially if the price goes up? If I bought an NFT and if it goes up three times in value, if there's no benefit or utility besides looking at the JPEG, I'm selling it. I'm, you know, I'm going to triple my money. I made my investment. So utility, think of it as what keeps the buyer from selling it, that there has to be an additional benefit beyond just the artwork. And that's also where rarity plays in because if it is a rare piece, it will have more value. So next, let's talk about media properties, which you got to do your detective work. Look at the Twitter, look at the website, look at the Discord community and talk to people inside of on Twitter and Discord, I think there's a great way to just get feedback. Hear the feedback of people that are actually inside of that project. Do they like it? With Discord communities, like how many people are following it on Discord? Is it a thousand people? Is it ten thousand people or even more? Because on Discord, like you get a really good vibe of what the community is. And the best NFT projects, people are just having fun. They're not talking about the value of the NFT. They're not talking about money. They're just sharing their experiences. They're part of the club that owns it. On the flip side in Discord, when things go awry, the shit hits the fan on Discord. <laughs> like You'll see people fighting. You'll see people just disappointed. And that is obviously a bad sign of a project that you wouldn't see on the surface. I think Discord is just kind of like if you were buying a product on Amazon, you would look at the 50 customer reviews because you would want to hear what people said. And so if people are in that NFT project, you look at Discord and you look at Twitter to see what people are saying. Next, the business community. So the business community, I would count as celebrities who are in the project. It could be venture capital firms who've invested. And that's for larger projects. It also could be NFT influencers, that there's some respected people in the space and are they mentioning the project? For example, Reese Witherspoon has now been talking about an NFT called World of Women. And actually she's talking about doing a streaming media project with her studio for World of Women. That's big news for them. But there's all sorts of celebrities involved like Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I mean, what's Snoop Dogg not in? But He's involved with NFTs, Justin Bieber, Steph Curry. There's a lot of celebrities. And obviously, like in our society, if a celebrity is backing an NFT, that's a vote of confidence that signals other people to get into that NFT project. I think venture capital is really interesting because now they're starting to get involved. And like with VCs in general, I've kind of evolved my point of view on VCs because at first I kind of really liked VCs, especially in the e-commerce world. Like I like VCs at first because, or even celebrities and this business community, because if it's good enough for Reese Witherspoon, then it might be good enough for me. 
or if there's a VC that I respect, they've done their due diligence on this project. They've given it the stamp of approval. That makes me more confident. But here's where it gets to be a double-edged sword because they got their own agenda. And also, I don't know at what price point always that the VC bought in on. Like, let's just say a VC got into a stock at $1 and then the stock goes up to 20. This VC now has made 20 times their money. And the question is like, why not sell at 20X? (laughs) So it is a habit that VCs can kind of eat retail investors, ordinary people for lunch because, and they'll say, hey, this is a great investment at 20, but they have their own agenda potentially to exit their position and regular people are helping them out. So you, you have to watch out for the VC's agenda. Even influencers and celebrities, they all have their own point of view, but it is a good sign to hear that chatter about a project versus hearing crickets. So last but not least, what we'll do is like, I'll talk about the final point and then go into a couple of examples and how you can use this research framework to evaluate an NFT project. The last thing you got to worry about in your research framework is yourself. You got to know your own internal biases and you got to hold yourself accountable to your track record. Think about bad decisions you've made how emotions play into your decision-making process. You know, this happens with investing. It happens in e-commerce a lot too, that you really do have to know your weaknesses and look back at some decisions you made that you would take back and why it happened. Because NFTs are a very emotional cycle and it's very hype-driven. And the job is to hype up these projects and also to make you feel like you're the uncool kid who isn't investing in it. Like FOMO is a big thing and you got to be able to ward that off. And the best way to do that is to understand your bias. And I think a lot of it is just understanding what you're good at. And for me, like, I mean, to be honest with NFT is like, I was a little more involved in them about a year ago and I've stepped away from a couple different types of NFTs because I felt like I wasn't as good as someone else at it. When I get involved in things, I also want to have an edge. And sometimes like if I'm involved with a project, like because I've done NFTs for a year and because I've been, you know, I've heard with e-commerce and with the metaverse, like I've been looking at tech trends for 20 years. So I feel like I have a little advantage over the normal person. And that's, I think, knowing ourselves, like where do we have that advantage, but also where do we have that disadvantage? And sometimes our biases, like if we don't know something, it can transform into things that we wish we didn't do. So know yourself and be able to evaluate and hold yourself accountable. I think with NFT, like the best way to put it is the artwork of an NFT kind of opens the door for you and the utility and usage and rarity is what keeps people from selling it. So now I wanted to look at a couple of projects and use this framework to evaluate it. And like I said in the opening, I want to talk about an NBA Top Shot because I did an episode a while back, a year ago, not too long ago. And the thing is that opinions evolve. And I have to say, like, I think NBA Top Shot is an interesting product because they turned baseball cards into a digital format. You know, so let me just walk through the way I evaluate NBA Top Shot and I'll kind of give you my suggestion or my feedback on it. 
So NBA Top Shot, they have the NBA seal of approval. That's great. It's a professional sports license. The NBA approves it. It makes people interested in using it. They have $600 million of investment. You know, a lot of VCs, some basketball players, a ton of people involved in Dapper Labs. You know, I think utility is also, there's some positives there in that eventually NBA Top Shot moments are going to be, they say it's going to be turned into a game called Hardcourt. So let's just say I have a Steph Curry NBA Top Shot moment. In theory, like I can hit any three-point shot on the board because Steph Curry is a sharpshooter and having his card in the Hardcourt game would have that benefit. So it is supposed to have gaming utility. But the problem with NBA Top Shot is that the market has been down for about a year. (laughs) So I got involved in NBA Top Shot about a year ago because I felt FOMO in it. Gary Vaynerchuk was talking about it. Mark Cuban was talking about it. And I felt like I had to get in. But the problem is so many people had gotten in before me. So I was at the top. And, you know, there are a couple of things that stand out for me with Top Shot. I think first off, the Discord community. Like if you look at the NBA Top Shot Discord community, it is a shit show. There's a lot of angry kids who are not happy about the investments they made on Top Shot. And in a good NFT project, you're not going to see as much emotion. You're not going to see as much negativity as you would in NBA Top Shot's Discord or on Twitter. I think where NBA Top Shot is falling is rarity. And because their circulations are really way too high. Like for example, LeBron James, if you bought an NBA Top Shop with LeBron James now, there could be 50,000 other pieces in that mint. So if 50,000 other people own the same card as I do, how is it going to be worth anything? And unfortunately, like Dapper Labs has received this feedback on a number of times. And for whatever reason, like they are very committed to high mints. There are some rare pieces, but A majority of the collection called commons is going to have 60,000 circulation mints. So for that reason, the value has gone down a lot of these cards over time. So with NBA Top Shot, it's kind of funny because I have a friend also who's been in the Top Shot game. And now we just kind of cautiously staying away from this market because the value of a lot of the cards that we had gotten has gone down significantly. It's just strange when your LeBron James card or your Kevin Durant or Steph Curry card goes down 80% in value. (laughs) So I think it's just one of those things where let's hope that the hardcore game utility is good. Let's hope that Top Shot expands its business and its customer base. We hope for the best, but it's something I really wouldn't get into or recommend getting into like for the time being until we see some sort of uptrend. So that is NBA Top Shot. And let's do one more. We'll talk about another NFT project called Parallel. And just going to use the research framework and let's see if it checks all the boxes or not. So only have a couple minutes. So going to go through this pretty quick. Parallel is a sci-fi card game. It's like a mix of Pokemon and Magic the Gathering. You know, and the team has this vision of building a next generation game that can, you know, if you have kids, you know how popular card games are but making it a broad appeal that can you know, make sense for all ages, mixing the joy of physical card games with a virtual element, an NFT collection. So now let's get into the team. Very strong team. I mean, it was parallel 
was started by the co-founder of one of Canada's largest independent gaming studios. This is definitely not their first rodeo. They understand the gaming mechanics and how to build community. Thumbs up on the team. The artwork is amazing. The artwork is what got me into this project in the first place. If you see, there's a lot of different pieces of parallel. If you look at 50 different parallel cards, there are different styles, but I, I can't see anyone not falling in love with one of them. They're really nice pieces. And I'm not even a sci-fi fan either, or I'm not huge on sci-fi, but I really like the design of a good number of these cards. So the artwork is on point two. Now let's talk about the business community of supporters. Parallel got a $50 million investment from Paradigm, a well-respected metaverse and crypto venture capital company. So Paradigm gave their seal of approval. It gives me more confidence in the project. Also, they're already talking to large movie studios and the idea is to have a media property. I'm not sure if it's going to be multiple TV series or movies, but there is definitely going to be mainstream exposure to this project in the future. Now let's go to the media properties and doing your detective work on Twitter, website, Discord. Discord is interesting for Parallel because it's a really positive vibe in the community because it's filled with fanboys, like sci-fi kids who are just geeking out about all the cards and talking about what the game can do. And there's really not much negativity. So I thought that was a good sign with Parallel. And even on Twitter, people just talk up the project and there's really not any haters that I can think of offhand on it. Now let's talk about utility. Utility is, I like that Parallel is artwork, but also that it can have a separate value inside the game. Because I've been in, involved in this project since July and certain cards have functions that you can perform better if you have X card. And that's what I like about the rarity of Parallel because I have a small set of cards that less than a thousand people have. So just like we were talking about with Top Shot, on the negative side, if only 450 people have the same card as I have, I know it can retain its value much better as an NFT. And also with utility, the idea is the artwork got me through the door, but what's keeping me from selling it? Here's another thing. Parallel just announced a big airdrop that is gonna go to people that are holding their NFTs, and that is gonna come later in 2022. So I'm not selling, why? Because I'm gonna wait for this big airdrop that's gonna come later and get announced. So that, in sum, is why I like the Parallel Project, but be warned, I'm a homer too, because I'm just shilling my bags. I have Parallel, so please be aware of my bias and do your own research on these projects. So. Finishing up, research. Research is a framework. Today we discussed NFTs. This can easily be applied to e-commerce, investing, and a lot of other things. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to be in like with something. I want to be in love with it. Like if I'm going to put my time, my money, my heart, my soul into it, I want to really like it. And that's why research is really important because we want to have high conviction on anything that involves using our precious resources. And it can get emotional very quickly. So don't just make a hot take. Don't just trust your gut. You want to verify things and bolster those emotional takes with an additional criteria and framework. That's all for today. Thanks again for listening. And feel free to share any research questions that you have or things that you learned along the way. Peace. Hi, this is Steven. This episode is sponsored by Needle Movement. 
Needle Movement helps emerging e-commerce brands master their email and SMS strategies. We know all the ins and outs of Klaviyo and then some. And sure, it's about sales, but for me, it's different. I take a very hands-on approach with all my clients. I'm honestly very selective with the clients I pick because we don't have many slots open. And that's because Needle Movement is all about having clients that we can call friends in the end and making e-commerce fun. E-com is fun. You know the story. It's fun when you know you're going to hit all those monthly sales numbers. Recently, we had one client who broke their monthly sales marks for 15 months in a row. Contact us to learn more. You can go to our website or you can reach Needle Movement on LinkedIn and Twitter and we can discuss how you can make the most out of your e-commerce store. And last but not least, tune in for another new episode of the Needle Movement Podcast.